everyone. We're back for another episode of the Young Employees Podcast. And this week, Raymond and I are actually going to be talking about, well, this topic as a whole we've talked about before. So this will be the second time we do it. But the first time when we did it, uh, we'll probably just say the topic uh, first. And that is, we're going to be challenging social norms. Okay, right? We're going to be taking a look at our society and how the things uh, kind of work around us, systems and stuff like that, uh, from an outside perspective, as if we, you know, came from a different time or a different country, you know, stepping away from it and taking a look at it and questioning, is that really the way we should be doing things, right? Are there alternatives and stuff like that? So the first time we did this, it was five months ago. And the three things, the three social norms in our society that we were challenging, that we were trying to denormalize, uh, those three things were car dependency and smoking slash vaping. And the final one that we were looking at from an outside perspective was kind of the way people eat. So stuff like when people eat and how uh, how much people rush their meals here, for example, whereas in many other places, people take eating much more seriously, much more of an event where people get together, uh, a very social thing. So, yeah, this time we're going to challenge three other things. And uh, three other things we're going to start off. The first thing we're going to talk about is, um, oh, man, I'm blanking right now. <laughs> Hacks and tips. Exactly, Raymond. Yes. Thank you very much. That's right. Yes. Uh, I suggested that because that that's, uh, hits pretty close to heart for me. Um, something I think about quite a bit. Something I think a lot about when I, you know, am in other places or look at videos of people being in other places. But uh, the second thing is I want to talk about kind of the healthcare system here. Uh, just kind of a specific problem with it. We'll cover very obvious problems that really should be addressed. It seems like they're just not necessarily not necessarily obvious solutions, but I feel like a lot more people should be questioning it and being like, hey, how are we okay with this happening? Uh, and then the final thing we're going to talk about is beauty standards because that's kind of different. It, well, it always changes, right? So I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. So why don't we start off with taxes and tips, right? So uh, I definitely want your thoughts on this, Raymond, but I just want to give the audience kind of a little bit of background about why I talk about this and why I think about this and why this is like a social norm here that I want to challenge. And um, yeah, I guess uh, to start off there, <laughs> the reason why I, I like the challenges because, you know, one um, you know, eating, especially when I'm going out for food, the prices, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty high already, you know, and then once I actually get the, the bill, it's like, huh, yeah, that's right, there are taxes that's going to be added on to it afterwards, and then you're paying tips as well, because that's a culture here, and it's not even like, you know, it's voluntary in, uh, in quotations, because really, it's kind of something you're just kind of expected to do and something that's so built into the culture that 
honestly, like, if you don't do it, I don't know, man, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't like this system. It's a very westernized system. Uh, okay, you know what? Before we talk about, I gotta put on my smart glasses. Um, well, you see, uh, the the taxing and the tip system here in America or North America in general is it, it's it's honestly kind of pointless. Like, it's not pointless. It's not pointless as in like, yeah, like the we should tip when it's an extremely you know like outstanding service or whatever right that i understand but as of currently you know uh, everything's extremely expensive now due to inflation and it it's just it's so awkward because like a cashier a cashier working at like a restaurant can ask you to tip them right not even a restaurant like if you're so I, I was kind of mad this one time. I was I was a little bit buzzing, right? It was it was late at night, and I go to this burrito place, right? And I go to this burrito place, and you know I order my burrito, everything. You know, it's 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 like a burrito bowl. It's already like sixteen, seventeen bucks, Ooh. right? It was good though. Like not gonna lie, it was really good. But at the end, like when I was paying for it they the machine i the machine was like all oh, tipping percentage or like tipping amount and i was just like dude like it's you're not asking much right like to be fair i might sound like an asshole or i might sound like i might sound disrespectful but when you're working that job you're working the job that's the job that's required you know like and plus, it's a restaurant, right? Like, not really a restaurant. It's more like, it's almost like a fast food-ish. Kind yeah. of like, so they're behind, like, the, the thing. And, like, they ask you, do you want this or do you want that, right? Like, it's like any other burrito or, like... Um, it's like Subway. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. It's like the Subway concept. And, like, all they do is they ask you if you want something and they put it on there. Which, to me... I don't think that's that's a literally just part of the job, right? And they do get paid the same amount. They get paid either minimum or above. It's not like where servers, I understand a little bit more because they're a lot of times they're underpaid and they depend on tips to live. Oh man, especially in the states, I can like some yeah. of the laws there, like holy. dude, six six seven bucks, like like hourly plus like if you don't get tips you're you're basically starving right how are you gonna pay for things but that okay i'll get to that in a bit but it asked the machine asked me to pay and i'm like dude first of all now you're now you're gonna now you're gonna make me feel a little bit guilty for not tipping all right i don't i don't like that it's a little bit i find it a little bit manipulative right i do respect a lot of the places that because the machines have the the built-in tip thing so where as as soon as you press for like the amount they owe you give it to them and like the tip screen shows up i appreciate the places where they cancel it themselves so like where they they skip through the tipping uh screen and they just hand you over right that's i i find that's very nice of them and like at this point i would tip them if anything for doing that right 
because they know like they know that prices are up already like you know things that were once like 16 bucks are now like 20 21 dollars right it's crazy so i just don't get it like you're you're making it's like it's like you're working an office job or like a call center and you know like you're like you're like customer service and you ask for tip when the customers pay for anything it's like no like you're doing your job you know you're doing what you're supposed to do i don't get tips for doing my jobs right like especially when it's not I guess in the food industry, oftentimes, like it, even when I did work for the food industry, I didn't get tips. No. So like, I don't know. But like the one thing I disagree with is how much they do pay the servers though. Or, you know, like uh, waitressing or like, you know, basically just like serving in general. They, They underpay their servers, right? And then they expect people to pay out of pocket for the servers and a lot of times it's it's not even directly to them it's to the server pool and in the server pool you know the manager takes a good amount too which is like why like so it's just a little sneaky way of making more money and like i really disagree with that concept right yeah exactly so a lot of the stuff we're talking about right now has to do with the system so definitely has to do with like culture as well but like these things are literally uh, a systematic thing, right? So with the taxes uh, not being included in any of the prices, right? Mm-hmm. Even like when you're doing groceries or buying a snack or whatever it is, like that is because the government literally decided to do that, despite the fact that most of like the world, most of the world literally choose to include the tax uh, in the price. So you know how much you're spending right you're so you actually dollars and you want to buy some stuff you know like okay that's that that's that i'm gonna have enough money right whereas over here something like okay i have to what take out a calculator and figure out what percentage of tax is added on to after like why are we doing this like mm-hmm. holy just include it in the price right like make it easier right and, and make it more transparent so people actually know exactly how much they're spending right away when they're looking at the price of the item, right? And then once we actually get to the tipping stuff, especially with what you're talking about with the uh, waiters and the serving staff, right? You're talking about, uh, I mean, it kind of depends on where you are too, right? It's a much bigger problem in, in the States, for example, whereas over here it's less of a problem, mm-hmm. right? But still, like, literally, like, people are, like, allowed to pay their serving staff uh, and maybe some other groups of people too uh, who also require tips, right? But they're allowed to pay them less than minimum wage, right? And those people uh, definitely rely on tips, right? So as a consumer, you may not like the tipping culture, you may not like those things, but because of the way the system is designed, like if you don't give them tips, like they can't, like they just they can't live off of the like minimal wage already is pretty low like it's it's tough but less than minimal wage like they need the tips like it's like they can't they can't you know work around that right so that's the problem that's built into the system and then like already like with the culture and how it is if you don't like tipping like if you're actually gonna follow through and not tip because you don't like tipping 
that's already a terrible look, right? There's already just a lot of like, I don't know, just social kind of pressures that's making you tip. But knowing how the system works and the fact that like, the serving staff and like people working in the industry overall, like pretty much need the tip as a part of their income. That makes it, I, that's even more pressure for the, for the consumers to actually pay the tip, right? So yeah, because of these things, you're adding the, the taxes and you're adding the tips onto already high prices. And then when you're going out for anything, just like, man, like you want to feel good about like uh, the overall experience. And while the overall experience might be good, the fact the system works like this and there's all this uh, additional prices, additional fees adding onto the price you see on the menu, it, it does decrease the overall quality by a decent bit, even if at the end that's still good. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's just a really drawn out and inefficient way to do things. Like, why why not just why not just make it so servers do earn minimum or above, so you don't you're not it's not required to tip or like it's not you know like so tipping like the I guess the tipping mindset isn't like as strong like yeah like. I do feel like some people do deserve great tips because they provide a lot, right? They go like above and beyond in order to to help, you know, the customers or like to to give a service that's actually worth the tipping, right? But you have places that require you like like mandatory to tip. I went to this Korean restaurant with uh, some of my friends, like there's like eight of us or some and Basically, they, they had a rule where if it's six or more people, you like you have to tip 18% at oh, least. Oh, yeah, the gratuity charge. That's actually a pretty common practice in all yeah. over North America. Yeah. yeah. It's like, like, what do you mean? Like, why? Why is that mandatory? I, I don't understand. Like, it's it should be... It should be like tip as you please, right? And this this one this one event pissed me off. We were we went to a bar, like me and my friend, and the par like the bartender like served basically just filled up like a like a pint or like a yeah like a big pint and like like a pitcher and gave it to us, right? Because we ordered two pitchers, and that's all she did. I that's literally all she did. I understand, like, she's a good-looking, she's a good-looking woman. Don't get me wrong. She's a good-looking woman. Like, like, pretty, pretty up there, like, for societal, like, standards, right? So, she's used to people tipping her, like, like, good amounts, right? And when he, like, when he didn't put a tip in, because all she did was pour into a pitcher, that's it. She was like, oh, you know, like, you know the tip's not included, right? In a really passive-aggressive tone. Like, how, like... See, that's that's what I mean. Like, in certain aspects, it also affects the customers. And, like, although, yeah, the tipping thing really affects the servers or, you know, like, bar, like you know, basically, like, that kind of, like, customer care um, service kind of line of work, it also affects the customers, like either directly or indirectly because she to me that sounds like she she felt entitled to it like to a tip maybe because she's really used to it right i 
I would understand. Like if she used, if she's used to, you know, people tipping her, you know, however, like usually after whatever, or like just handing them a beer and like tipping. Like I get that. But like you can't really, you can't do that to customers and like literally go out of your way to make them feel bad, or to almost in like a manipulative type of way to get them to tip, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's putting pressure on you, right? It's like, uh, yeah, I, I, she knows what she's doing with that. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but but like like the thing is like, uh, I definitely want to add on to what you're saying because uh, it is related to this, not necessarily directly. But like the service aspect, I definitely want to uh, add on to that. But before I do that, I do want to say that because of the way the culture is and because of the way the system is, I don't have that much of a problem with her doing that. But it's because of like those kind of things are almost kind of normal, those type of behavior. They're common, right? And they're at least somewhat accepted, even though there are definitely a lot of people like you uh, who don't like that. And the thing is, I, I think that's why it's a big problem, right? Like, because of the way the system and the culture is, something like that is normal and, and you know, pretty accepted. Whereas, like, if you just change the system, then they wouldn't even need to do that, right? And the customers wouldn't have to deal with that either. It's just better for every party involved, right? Yeah. So, like, it, it's just a problem. Like, it's another problem that exists because of the way the system is so i don't actually blame her that much i will say i also don't appreciate that type of behavior either but i understand it because of the way the culture and the system is from my you know perception mm-hmm. uh, but adding on to what you're talking about with the service type thing and relating that to kind of tips culture right so over here a weird thing that people would do and um, even some customers consider this to be good service, and that is the the serving staff coming up to you once in a while, like, "How is everything? Is everything good?" and this and that, right? And and that's the thing, like with the perspective of an outsider, right? Being able to look at it, uh, look at this when you also know what it's like in other cultures, in other places, and the way things are done differently, and also even just imagine how how you know it could be done differently, right? So in various places all over Europe, what you would get is uh, serving staff that's not going to interrupt and bother you while you're eating, right? Like they're going to be available uh, if, if you want something, right? You'll ask them, right? And they're going to be giving you the food, right? And, and all those things, like the normal serving stuff. But they're not going to come up to be come up to you and ask how is it going or anything like that. If that does happen, it's because, like, the chef is coming out and doing that. It's much more personal, right? Mm-hmm. And they're much more connected with the dish and all that. It's not going to be the serving staff, like, just asking that in a very casual and genuine mm-hmm. way. Like, like, that is just part of, like, they're doing this because that's, like, quote-unquote good service. And part of the reason they're doing this is because they want tips from you, right? They want, like, a higher percentage or whatever. Um, and that's kind of the way the, the service is you know it's kind of built what's it kind of became that way because of the tipping culture right and obviously you know there are also places where they don't have tips but the service industry overall like many places in asia service industry like the people working it are treated like just a just i don't know like uh well like garbage really right like they're just seen as the bottom 
like uh like if we're talking about like class system right they're just seen as a lower class right uh, a lot of them are just treated absolutely terribly and they don't even get tips either right so that's also a different culture that, that is happening there and there are many problems with that as well right so it's not i'm not saying that like the tipping thing is is like the worst thing ever i'm not saying that the tipping thing is causing uh, all kinds of terrible problems right but i am saying that there are some things with the tipping that doesn't really make sense and it is causing some of these uh some of these consequences that as consumers that you just don't really appreciate and quite frankly i think the people working in the industry don't really want to actually come up to you and ask those kind of questions all the time cuz like first of all they don't really care <laughs> Uh, and secondly, a lot of people find that to be awkward or whatever. Like, there's just mm-hmm. different reasons why people wouldn't like it. So it's like the thing we are talking about earlier with the way it's built, with the taxes and the tips especially, it's really not benefiting either side, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay, George, I get it. You're upset about this, all right? But don't gotta be don't gotta be physical about it. Let's just talk. Um. Yeah, I. Man, what was I gonna? Oh yeah, I I experienced this lunch. It was like a fancy lunch, I guess. Um, I actually went with Tobias. Uh, we went to the CN Tower. Uh, for lunch, right? And everything's jacked up. You know, all the prices and everything, right? Uh, just mainly for the view, right? And it's it's kind of like fancy, I guess. But this guy, well, let me tell you, this our server man, holy shit! Every two minutes, I'm literally because I when I'm eating and I'm I'm having like I'm eating with a friend, right? Especially Tobias, I haven't seen him in like three years, so like I'm just trying to like enjoy my meal and like talk to him and. Every two minutes he comes, everything all right, guys? Yeah? And then just leaves. Like, <laughs> like he, he was loud. It was like, I don't want to be mean because like I know like he's doing that for you know, for tips and like certain reasons. Yeah. But like, come on, dude. Like, because it's a circle, he, he does that. And like, he's in charge of like the certain area. So he like, he does that, goes around, goes back and it does it again and again and again and again. Everything all right, guys? Everything good? Yeah? All right, perfect. I'll be back. I'm like, no, 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 please. Yeah. Like, I get like, if he sees like, like our waters like kind of low and stuff, like he could come like, yeah, like that's, that's fine. Like that's, I appreciate that a lot. Like that's, like that's Kenai, right? Like you're looking out for for the customers. But like just walking around and continuously like disrupt, I guess, conversations, disrupt like moments, whatever. Like you also you also gotta realize and put yourself in the customer's I guess like position where like if you see people trying to enjoy a meal and they treat their their basically staff like I guess ground staff, like anything below a manager, basically, um, like shit. Even assisting managers, I I see that really often, and I like it's disappointing to say, but like it's it's honestly it's so like 
so disheartening to see that, right? Like, at the end of the day, like, they're doing their jobs. They're doing what they're supposed to be. Like, and also, they tend to underpay them, too, with no tip, with nothing to compensate for it with that type of treatment. And you could see a lot of that here in, uh, in I guess, like, Western society, like, North America as well. People take advantage of them. And a lot of the people who take advantage of, you know, immigrants, like, you know, like immigrants who tend to maybe not speak English or know it well, but like they do speak, you know, either Mandarin or Cantonese and they find work um, within these, like, I guess, like Chinese restaurants, right? You see the the managers, whatever, like they treat all the other staff like shit because of entitlement, of ego, of you know, all this stuff, and they they underpay them so much, whereas they overpay themselves, which is horrible. You have managers of, like, of restaurants making over, like, six figures, like, like, meanwhile, they're, they're, they're underpaying, you know, like, like, the workers aren't even making minimum. That's horrible. Uh, I just don't think that's fair. of, Of that culture, right? Yeah. yeah, and the thing is, like the customer they serve, like generally speaking, a lot of those restaurants are gonna be, you know, Asian customers, right? And a lot of those Asian customers, the tipping culture doesn't really exist in, mm-hmm. in kind of where they came from. And even if they became accustomed to it here, because it's an Asian restaurant, they kind of want to go back. Right, because they already don't like the tipping culture. In other yeah. places, okay, that's how it is. You know, I get it, right? I don't like it, but I, I just got to do it, right? But for some reason, right, once they go to an Asian restaurant, they're like, you know what? I'm not going to pay the, I'm not going to give them tips. I'm going to give them very little tips. Right? Yeah. Because those customers, once again, because of that culture, it kind of carries over, right? Mm-hmm. So so definitely there's a lot of that there. Uh, that's why uh, related to the main thing we're talking about and mm-hmm. it is very interesting to bring up but it's not like the most direct uh thing here mm-hmm. like you like i i do notice a lot of chinese restaurants now they it's mandatory to tip i think there was one that was there was one that like saw some uh i guess like i don't know like that was in the spotlight for a bit like like media attention and they were like they had a mandatory tip of like I think fifteen or like twenty percent, mm-hmm. um, like no matter what. And that's that's like that's absurd. But like I could also see why because Chinese people tend to not tip, so they're like, well, like we we might as well make it mandatory now, right? But still, the like thing is like like the standard, right? Uh, like when when people go to just any kind of actual sit down restaurant like the the socially perceived standard and anyone who is of like see themselves or want society to see them as i don't know like like i don't know decent people maybe like uh if they're talking about like the class system right they want to be seeing at least like middle class and above or whatever it is right um like the standard is like 15 percent right generally speaking people who go to the sit-down restaurant, they are going to be paying, uh, they're going to be paying a 15% tip at the end of their meal because of various reasons relating to culture and society and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. So, and once again, like with what we were talking about before, about how 
Asian people, especially like Chinese customers, have like problem with tipping, especially at Chinese restaurants, right? So seeing one thing being the standard, and then your customer, uh, your audience, essentially, like the people who actually, you know, spend money at at, at your um establishment, they're paying like even le- even less than like the minimum, minimum, minimum of like ten percent, right? Like because of that huge of a discrepancy, I could kind of see why they do it, right? And I yeah. can also see why, because of the culture, it would go into the spotlight because that's, like, unusual, right? Yeah, like, I understand why because of that, right? But just in general, like, I, I don't think forcing or having, like, mandatory, I guess, like, restaurant rules that, like, all you have to pay this amount, right? Or you have to add this much tip in general. Like, I don't think that's... I don't know. I just don't appreciate that. And, like, it goes back to to how the tipping system and, like, the service system in uh, North America is... It's not beneficial to anyone, right? But, like, the thing is, like, you could... It's it's mainly beneficial to the servers, though. Like, like certain... Within, like, certain, like, restaurants or, like, certain uh, businesses where they earned up a lot in tips. I know people who are... A like group of people, yeah. It's, yeah and it's all cash too so yeah. uh those yeah. people love, it's not tax you know a lot of like technically speaking they're probably avoiding a lot of taxes through you know illegal means because of the cash exactly <laughs> like i think one of my friends he uh he so he he worked at a winery right and yeah like a like a vineyard um and like he was a tour guide for for a bit but then he moved on to basically like hosting and like uh servicing bachelorette parties and like weddings and stuff dude let me tell you like half a thousand like five six hundred you know dollars in cash as tips in one day absurd absurd on top of that he's earning he's earning above minimal yeah that's really nice right so like it's it's like so you have you have certain like circumstances like that where it depends on the job, right? The, I guess like the the class of the job, like social economic class of the job, right? Because, yeah, I get what you're saying, right? So yeah, so hear yeah. Me out here. So one, that's uh, you know, that's a rare group, right? Yeah. So first of all, like overall, like that has to be like, the exception. So not including tax and having the tip culture overall, like I still don't think you know that's beneficial like and also Mm. um for those kind of rare and those kind of exceptions even without the kind of tipping culture and the system and how it is a lot a lot of times in other places in those type of special events and occasions people are going to pay tip anyway right because that's kind of like the special those are kind of the above and beyond type. no yeah that's what i mean occasions right and then the then then uh the other thing I want to bring in is like yeah you know that is technically you know beneficial to those rare group but because like pretty much everyone knows most of those people are at least you know evading taxes to some degree because yeah. of the tax uh, because of the cash stuff the, from the tips like uh, that, you know I'm not gonna say that's the most beneficial for like the whole system and yeah. the whole kind of like society you know. So, mm-hmm. so 
It's a very, very uh, special kind of group. And there are some, uh, you know, I just gave a couple things I think that ask the complexity of the situation. And I'm sure there are other things about it too. So, yeah, just my thoughts on that. No, 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 I, I agree. I'm not saying like, I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying like, like you have like those outliers, but then like, like I do agree, like in general, like 90, 95% of like all service line works aren't like that, right? They get underpaid. They get their, whatever tips they make get put into a pool, right? Tip pool, um, which shared amongst everyone else, right? And even with that, like sometimes you could still make below minimum wage depending on how much you're paid, especially in America, right? Or the United States. So like, in general, it's not good, but I just think it's pretty interesting. But I do agree where like it's in those certain circumstances. Yeah, like you should, right? Like, like I, I get those, but like in general, I, I don't think tipping should be normalized uh, per se. Like, uh, I don't know, like looking at like the more European type of like type of things, like I do agree, like taxes should be included in all price, like price tags. Um, tip shouldn't be a thing like they should pay their like staff like or employees the amount that you know is required by law or like you know at least livable right um and yeah i i don't know it just puts a lot of pressure on customers too right or consumers right like you said and i i really don't like that man yeah and i think that's uh you you done a good job of wrapping it up are really good points very good summary as well uh so moving on to the next thing that i wanted to get into i don't know how much thought you have on this part but i wanted to talk about a couple problems with the healthcare system in canada the system that so many people especially in the united states but also just kind of around the world actually kind of praise but there are you know i'm not saying it's completely bad i'm not saying that uh, we, we shouldn't have the system, right? But there are some obvious problems that exist. And the first one I'll say is something that actually just affect a lot of people every day pretty much. And that is the fact that unless you have a serious problem, you're just gonna have to wait a long time to, uh, to see any type of treatment because the, the system's not gonna just uh, give you the the doctors and the equipments and all of those things for little things, right? You're gonna have to wait a lot of the times, months to uh, to address like your, the minor problems, right? And a lot of the time, those minor problems after that time becomes you know a bit more serious, right? That's just annoying. It's definitely not a good thing for the for the people being affected yeah. by them. And, and like you know you just want people to have access to actual care patient care uh, actual access to health care to um to just assessment to figure out what exactly is actually uh you know wrong with them and like you have like a family doctor sure you can see them like relatively easily but they're not going to be able to really diagnose much they're just going to be able to say okay go see a specialist, wait this many months, because that's kind of how the system is, like, you know. Mm-hmm. 
think I agree. It is really annoying, and it it like I get I get that you should look at the more serious um, injuries or whatever like problems yeah, for sure. first. Uh, that I completely understand, but I think it's it's the lack of equipment, lack of employees, or like lack of nurses, doctors in general, that that causes that type of issue and lack of services, right? Um, so I I think that's the biggest problem in general, just lack of everything, basically. Um, and yeah, like I, I do agree, like it's it's really annoying to wait and a lot of times waiting could lead to more serious like injuries and stuff and then like instead of having it treated right away and like not going back you know you have to go back multiple times even or you have to get specialized equipment or like whatever um whatever and like you might have to pay for it even too right because it's not provided or it's not under uh it's not covered under healthcare so so then like it's like it's kind of like a lose-lose for people who aren't really uh in urgent circumstances but like who might have urgent like injuries or whatever like situations later on because of the weight but i also think because they don't promote i guess healthcare workers enough and they they basically they mistreat healthcare workers a lot as well in general uh so I think that really deters new, you know, like people going into the field because of all the stories they've heard and like everything, right? So, and I know in rare cases like COVID, right, a pandemic happens um, and they they get overworked a lot and it just, it's horrible, right? And they, they don't get any compensation for it, like either. Um and you have no say. If they want you in, you have to go in, right? So that's that's another thing. But I do feel like they need to promote healthcare workers, like as like a, like a line of work more often. Um, and they need to. I I feel like they also. I don't know, um, but I think we've talked about this before, where like they make it really hard for you to get your. Uh, your doctor's, I guess, title, uh, I guess, like, like becoming doctor yeah, in so general. A lot of the stuff you're talking about, I definitely want to get into. Mm-hmm. And uh, they actually kind of definitely completely related, directly related with the other major problem that I've noticed about the health care system here in Canada. Mm. But the, I'm the listening. Other thing I'm going to blow my to, nose. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I wanted to touch on before we really get into that, is how a lot of people have something wrong with them. They want to take the initiative and get it checked out and, you know, just do these different tests to kind of, you know, uh, see if there actually is something wrong with them, right? And because of the way the system is, they can't just allow you to have the access to those type of equipments and those type of service uh, to, to, like, you know, the staff and all those things. I mean, sometime if they don't, if the family doctor doesn't really think that it's a problem, like you're not gonna get those access at all, right? And if they do think, okay, there is some merit to that, you're still gonna have to wait a long time, right? 
So for people who want to be, you know, actually taking the initiative and just uh, being really mindful about their health and how they're feeling and they feel like something's slightly off or they feel something wrong and they want to get checked out, it's just not, it's just not a real possibility for people to do that with the system that Canada has, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing I wanted to point out as well before uh, we move on to kind of the other problems, right? And with the other problems, like you're saying, there is a lot of obstacles you have to get through to become uh, a medical doctor, right? They make the they make the process very difficult, very long, right? A lot of uh, requirements, uh, even just the grade itself has to be very high, and they require a lot of other things for you to get into medical school. And obviously, going through medical school is no easy task either, right? And while I could see some uh, rationale behind it that, that you know, makes sense to me, you definitely want a certain quality uh, in terms of the, the, well, the people who are going to work as doctors, right? You want uh, quality in their abilities to actually do their job, right? You want qualities in their character to make sure they have the responsibility and all the other quality, all the other, you know, characteristics that you're looking for, for sure, right? But at the same time, you look at other places around the world and other places where the doctors are skilled, right? What happens is that they are able to get training for those things right out of high school. Uh, yes, maybe it's like, it's gonna be longer than normal university, and they might take whatever courses for a year or two uh, to actually get into the main program of doctor training. Right? There is certain depending on where you are, you um, you might need a couple years uh, first before you get into doctor training to get into the sciences and, and those type of aspects. Right? But End of the day, being a doctor, like in terms of a lot of the surgeons especially, those are very much hands-on skills. And those are things that a lot of people could learn, right? So while, yes, you definitely want these other qualities and you definitely want a higher kind of level, you don't need to cut the access quite to the degree that Canada is doing. Right, because mm-hmm. the job itself, a lot more people could do if you allow them uh, to get there and, and to get the training, right? And a lot of people who have the training, who came from uh, other parts of the world, immigrated here, they can't practice, right? Like it's ma- Canada makes it very difficult. It, you essentially pretty much have to start over, right? Uh, to to be licensed, right? It, there isn't like a much easier and, you know, sensible process for you to transition uh, and Mm -hmm. um, just get re-qualified and licensed, right? Like, it make it very difficult that you pretty much is just going to have to redo uh, the process, but in Canada, by Canadian standards, right? And that's, uh, well, that's, you know, in some ways even discriminatory, right? But in other ways, it just... It's not beneficial to to the Canadian public, right? Because, like you're saying, the problem that 
uh, the problem I was talking about before, a lot of it comes down to the lack of hospitals, the lack of doctors and nurses, and and just uh, overworking them as well, right? So how do you get more people? <laughs> well, <laughs> lower the standard a little bit. Maybe have more um, more uh, medical schools. Maybe have some type of process for people to actually transition to the Canadian standards without restarting the process completely. You know, people who actually already have the the training and experience from other countries, and also, um, man, oh yeah, the nursing stuff too, right? Like, you need better PR than what you've been getting. A part of that is uh, is how how people actually feel, right, when they're doing the job. So there are certain things to change within the job itself as well, probably, that I don't have enough information to really comment on. But mm-hmm. just from the perception I have now, it does seem like there are some problems there. So there, there is a lot. There is a lot. Yeah. I uh, I have one example left. Um, so when I injured my back, I went to physio, and this is only physiotherapy, right? And it, it is easier. I wouldn't say easier, but I'd say it's a different process to become a physiotherapist. But one thing that really opened my mind about, or like that really opened my eyes about the uh, the process as a whole, is that. I had one physiotherapist who told me uh, she basically moved from, I think, Sweden or like, not Sweden, maybe somewhere from Europe. Okay. And so she she came to, uh, I guess, Canada a few years back, but with years, and I mean like, like seven 10 years of experience prior in their countries and what happened is they were waiting to do their they they weren't like they were assistant physiotherapists in like in like proper terms in professional terms but they were actually registered uh professional physiotherapists within their country so when she came over it's been like five six years they like they signed up for the uh the test you have to do it's like this like big uh i guess big physio test or whatever um from the government of canada or from the physio i guess organization or something like that and they basically waited two years for it right and when it finally happened COVID happened so they canceled all the all the tests Although, like, they could have easily made it, like, an online thing. So then, like, the process got delayed, and now they have to wait three more years until they they can, like, do the test again. Because I don't know why it takes so long to, to give people tests. Because I guess they, like, they group up a certain amount of people at once and let them all take it, rather than, like, individually, which is which is absurd. Yeah, exactly. This is exactly what, you know, what Kafka asks it means, right? It's exactly what Franz Kafka was, was talking about with bureaucracy. These uh, absurd kind of 
the processes that will go through is just like why why does it take that long what are what exactly are they doing people don't really know right and with these regulatory bodies in canada that are doing these tests and handing out certifications that allow people to be licensed uh practitioners of whatever right including physio apparently that that is a thing right apparently it is not necessarily always convenient and uh, quick and I don't even know why it's like that. Like, it's the other problem that Canada has that I will probably have to look more into to to have like a lot of good examples and talk about some uh, other ways of doing it. Talk about you know, I just don't know that much about that thing yet. But that's a very example that I brought up, and it is absolutely absurd as you described. Like, mm-hmm. come on, like you're you're understaffed essentially as a country in these in this field, and. This is a very important, you know, aspect for the Canadian public. Like this, the access to good quality healthcare and uh, physio type things, right? That's so important. Like everyone agrees on that. But yeah. for some reason, you're making it very difficult to get new people in, right? And also, another thing I read, I know at least a few years ago it was like this. I don't know if it's still the case, but after the very difficult process of going through and finally getting into medical school, graduating medical school, what you have to do before you actually become a practicing doctor is you do a residency, right? So you are a doctor, but at the same time that you're not quite a full-on doctor yet, right? And the thing is, like, medical school graduates were waiting a whole additional year to get placed because after they graduated, they couldn't find a spot for residency. And I'd say, how are we, like, we obviously need a lot more doctors. And the process is already very difficult, which just doesn't make sense. But even after you get through the process, for some reason, you don't have a spot? How can you be needing more people and not having spots? What? That's a paradox. Like That Mm -hmm. literally doesn't make sense. I don't know, man. I don't know. I think a major problem. Yeah, like uh, I think that's that comes down to, I guess, the amount of service uh, services that are available. Right, there's only like certain services or businesses that are allowed um, or like that have already established. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of have to depend on those businesses or those companies or whatever, like organizations to open up before you can go in but the thing is because they're already built in a way where limited amount of doctors is needed right you you don't need as much to be like like as efficient as like they possibly can uh they also take in a lot of patients or like a lot like family doctors for example they like small buildings or whatever limited amount of doctors you have to wait like two Two weeks to almost like months before you could see a family doctor. Oh man, it's ridiculous! Because yeah, like, like, it's a family the doctor. And just like oh yeah, you're trying to book now for then like not possible, man. Mm-hmm. Try, you know the the next available spot is in like a couple of weeks. Or yeah. it's like you could also try drop in, but drop in or basically full every day. So just like what? Yeah. <laughs> what? So it's like. So, like, I think more clinics are needed um, 
or like larger clinics in general. More clinics, more hospitals, yeah, more of like medical uh, care, yeah, practices overall. Um, and the thing is, like, I I think it's also like the individual clinics that like are you know that that do a lot of damage. Like, if anything, I feel like if they if they had too large clinics like main uh clinics for each city i think that could do like that could do a lot more than having individual ones because individually it's a business you want as many patients as possible right you want as many like so like you're taking all these patients in but you have limited access to staff or employees so you can't you can't treat them all right away whereas like if they just if they just allowed for bigger clinics or they wanted to like kind of like uh just work as like a bigger business in general like they're able to take in more doctors have more offices have more room have more space um and like the amount of patients is still relatively the same so like that way everything's more efficient anyways but like i don't know i'm just i'm just talking i'm just Right as of right now, I just want everyone to know I'm talking how I see it. It may be wrong, but like this is what I'm thinking as of right now, currently in the moment. So this is like kind of like improv, but I I do think that would make a lot more sense. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a lot of different you know uh, ways to go about it. People could theorize many different solutions that could potentially you know work better, right? Where at least have some benefit of the current system doesn't offer right but you know just another example uh other potential way to do it um and relating this to other problem that exists and that's kind of uh healthcare access in more remote places right mm-hmm. that's uh that's kind of a problem that also exists in other places for sure but in canada you know more remote communities definitely have a lack of proper health care year-round Right, mm-hmm. and that's something that that has always kind of been neglected, and that definitely, you know, despite the fact it doesn't affect as many people, but that is a problem that exists within our healthcare system, and that is something that, you know, probably should be addressed. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know, relating to what you're saying and relating to this this example that I'm giving, one solution would be something that's uh, something that you know, relate to something that I got from looking at uh, Cuba, right? Cuba has the most doctors per capita, right? And these doctors are very much community-based, right? And I mean, uh, a big part of that is kind of how, how, uh, how communist countries organize places geographically and how there's kind of levels, right? So they kind of, very small into very big. There's just a lot of levels, right? That's kind of like how that's something that can just kind of happens in uh, in communist countries in terms of the the structure, just in terms of levels of regulation, right? But in terms of that, in each of the most small community and smallest level, like you have doctors for the community, so they're very accessible. And guess what? They're also uh, people who you actually know. And feel more comfortable with, right? And there are people who are living in the community who you know. Maybe their their children go to school with you, 
right? And while yes, all right, your doctor may be living in the same community as you, and maybe their children go to school with you here as well. But there are just so few doctors in the community, which goes back to kind of the main problem. We just have so short staff, right? You just need more people. But once you have more people, right, say that we have more people, it might be beneficial to have them kind of uh, spread around the community and be accessible to people who are actually just uh, close to them in, in physical proximity, right? So a lot of different ways to go about it, but at the end of the day, there is a lack of accessibility, right? And there are problems within the system that kind of prevents uh, that issue to be addressed properly because it's just so difficult and for some reason nowadays, it seems like less desirable for people to really want to get into it, right? So, yeah, like, there's just a lot to address. I mean, probably some stuff with, uh, with um, drugs, you know, medicine and stuff like that as well. I'm sure there are problems uh, along those lines. I just don't know too much to really speak on it. So I just want to kind of mention it here. Uh, just so people, if they're interested, they could look into it themselves. But yeah, uh, I think I think those pretty much cover my thoughts on the problems with the Canadian healthcare system right now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, like you see a lot of the smaller communities around, like basically a lot of the uh, reserves uh, areas where it's like a 30, 40 minute drive from like major cities in like like the really countryside they don't really have the medical facilities that they need so they have to travel almost an hour or more sometimes to get to you know the major cities or like the main areas where you know the population is more condensed and like there's more uh medical practitioners and like more clinics available also for medicine too you may have you could have a doctor there but like if they don't have the uh, the medical i guess like pharmaceuticals you need then like you gotta go elsewhere and i don't know it all it, basically what you said it all comes down to the lack of doctors not good not good yeah i mean like some people talk about how like privatization solve some of the problem and I, don't know, I guess like I could see why that could but at the same time I could also see how that would bring up a lot of other problems mm. and overall I just don't know enough and I haven't seen the exact proposed plan anyways to mm. really have like any nuance and, and thoughts and a proper opinion on this so I don't yeah. know but it's, a, it's an interesting idea that I think if someone really thought it through and made some uh, proposed actual plan and, and just see like different companies and whatever then at that point you know people could uh make judgments on it but just uh the idea of that itself i don't know if that's the best way to go uh, initially for me at least um and the final thing i want to touch on before we move on to the, the final final part of this topic is um i i think i mean this is much more rare obviously because what I'm talking about here is rare diseases, right? But rare diseases in Canada, a lot of them, they don't, Canada, the healthcare system, they don't have treatment for that. Like whether it's like specific machines or specific drugs that are needed to uh, treat those things. But the Canadian healthcare system 
for the exact same reason we described with how, you know, if you're not actually seriously ill, you're not going to get treatment right away, right? The resources are not going specifically for those things, right? The government is not spending all that money uh, for those very specific things, right? And part of that is because how much they actually cost from the foreign companies selling them, right? That's a whole other problem, right? That's actually very much related to problems in the United States with their healthcare system, right? But yeah, like uh, that is something I just want to bring up as well because, you know, yeah. those people, they, they do have to go somewhere else in the world and get treatment and that's obviously not going to be covered if, even if they are covered slightly. Like most of it is not going to be covered for sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that, that is definitely, you know, a problem that exists. Like, even traveling across Canada, like, not even to other countries is a big problem, right? Because, like, you have you have certain equipments, like, that are, that are available in certain provinces or territories. Probably provinces. Um, but, like, you have certain equipments that's available there that aren't necessarily available anywhere else in Canada. So you have a huge lineup of people waiting, mm-hmm. you know, with like, although it's a rare disease, there there are still thousands of people with it, right? And, you know, there's a huge lineup f- to use those facilities, to use the equipment, right? And even then, like, even if it's, even if it's that serious, you still have to wait. Or else you, yeah. you're forced to go out of the country to spend more money, right? It's, yeah. Like, there are only, like, a few doctors that are really covering those things. War, that's like, there's only a few hospitals that have the proper equipment and mm-hmm. overall facility to really take care of that. And, yeah, it, it's, uh, it is a problem, like you're saying. Like, there are just these problems that exist in, can- in the Canadian healthcare system. That I don't know. They don't. They definitely don't get talked about enough, right? Mm-hmm. Like generally speaking, like, yeah, you hear some stories uh, uh, that kind of related to these problems. But overall, especially if you're looking at it in a more uh, continental or international perspective, it definitely seems like Canadian health healthcare system get a lot more praise, right? And overall, people do feel, you know, pretty good about this. In fact, if we're going to talk about Canadian identity and pride, that's like one of the only things that people really, you know, feel really good about. But the reality is that there are still things that that obviously needs to be addressed because these problems affect all the different people that we mentioned, right? And um, I was going to say something else, but I don't quite remember it. So I'm ready to move on to the final thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm good to move on to. Okay, so yeah, uh, beauty standards, right? I think that's uh, that's a huge one, as well, right? Because uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, beauty standards is something that is different in different parts of the world, in different time periods, and something that has changed, is changing, and will continue to change, right? So, and I think nowadays, especially. In terms of beauty standards, it does feel like there are more uh, niche groups and sometimes even more straight up individualized kind of uh, ideas, which is which is good to see, for sure. But at the same time, overall, uh, how how it is portrayed in 
in media, right, and by the by the more powerful and more public voices, right. I feel like that's that's something that it's still very influential and does still affect a lot of people, and it's uh, it's just interesting to have a conversation about it. Yeah, um, I think when I don't know, because beauty standards are very diverse throughout different cultures and different regions of the world. I think. Um, I think Western society has kind of made it to almost like the extreme, like they, yeah, like compare, like comparing to other parts of the world, it's not, it's not as, I guess it's more unrealistic here in theory than when comparing to other cultures, right? So, yeah, I don't know, like. I don't even know where to start. There's so much, mm-hmm. right? Like, and that's the thing. Like, it's, it is, it's constantly everywhere, right? So, like, you see advertisements all the time for makeup, for clothes, for, uh, even like surgeries and stuff like that, right? Oh man, the surgery stuff, especially at how kind of, uh, how accepted and normal it has has become. Like, it's just something that people. Okay, do casually everyone mm-hmm. around them would be like, okay, that's like a, just a normal thing. Like, you know, I think, you know, while I do like the acceptance and and um, the fact that people aren't, you know, really just bullying other people or whatever about it, you know, I do like that aspect. But at the same time, it's like when it becomes normal to that sense, like to that level, when you're doing a, a you know, a medical procedure really, right? And, you know, I think uh, the cost-benefit analysis as a society for stuff like that kind of needs to be kind of taken, you know, take another look at, right? Really, really think shit through, right? So so that's one thing that I think is kind of becoming kind of weird. It's just so normal that people would do it. Yeah. so common that it happens. But I don't know, like for, I mean, in general cosmetic surgery um let's just call it cosmetic surgery it i don't think it's as common in western society as comparing to other countries though um it could because it's mainly it's mainly influenced like by the other countries that do it heavily right so like if you take a look at colombia brazil um korea Korea, Turkey, Turkey. yeah, a a lot of these, a lot of these other countries are extremely big. The cosmetic surgery kind of like industry is huge there, right? Definitely. And like, I I think, I think Western beauty standards, not only, like, it's not only promoted within, but it's heavily influenced by other countries too, whereas other countries aren't really heavily influenced as much like by other countries in comparison do you know what i mean no i i do know what you mean you know yeah i think i think it's very interesting because when you look at the beauty standards of other countries they it does seem like they're not being influenced as much by the western kind of like side right Mm -hmm. like 
you know, you talk about the Asian countries. Um, I mean, not even just the Asian countries, right? Because even if you look at a place like, like, like Middle Korea, East it, it's, as it's well, it's a very similar thing yeah. with the with the the lighter skin, right? Mm. Like, there's a huge problem when you're talking about uh, media in places like the like the like the Far East, like the Southeast Asian countries, right? Uh, places like China, Korea. Places like India, right, but as well as a place like Mexico, where people with whiter and lighter and more uh, what do you call it, fair uh, complexions, right, that is required in, in media, right. That that is like, um, you know, when you look, when you watch, when you watch um, shows, all right, when you watch what do you call it, series, right, when you watch these things from those countries, and you look at the actors and the actresses. Right, compared to the average citizen of those of those countries, their complexion is much more mm-hmm. white, right? Yeah. Like that, but like that's not exact. I don't, you know, that kind of traces back to different things. Because yeah. really, when you talk about something like that, that was a thing in Europe as well, right? Yeah. Because that was much related to class. Class, yeah. Right. You you're white, and all that means you're not a farmer working the field fields. You're not a peasant, right? It's mm. about high class, right? So that's uh, kind of why people wanted to look like that, and then even use makeup to do that. And then in Asia, the way it developed is very much a similar thing, having to do with class. Mm-hmm. But the way it stuck around, you know, I I don't know the details about that. I haven't really read into anything or really thought about it as much. But uh, the point I'm trying to get to, like those standards, are. You know, they exist, right? And they could definitely be problematic, but they're not being influenced by the Western aspect of being tanned, for example. Right? Mm. Like, those are direct uh, contrasts. Okay. I have a lot to say here. I, I do agree with, like, basically all you've said, because it is true, like, like whiter skin can mean a lot of things in a lot of different cultures, but it's mainly considered like a class-based um, attribute that people like really like, right? Like also, especially for women, because it symbolizes purity and stuff like that as well in a lot of different cultures. For example, Middle East, let's say Turkey, women in Turkey, not even women, like the general, I guess, yeah, women in Turkey, um, the standards there are like the whiter skin, the paler you are, like the, the more like beautiful and whatever like you're considered. It's mainly derived from uh, like historic times where that really represents class, you know, um, and like, yeah, like, like it, it's kind of evolved from that. But also you see that like men are the darker the guy is the more attractive and the more desirable they are though within turkey really i did not yes so that's like yeah that's really interesting because i guess it also means that that gives the uh impression that the guy is a hard-working man right able to do a lot of things physical activity outside um like and that's what they would consider like a masculine, more like a family man, right? A more desirable man. So that kind of makes sense, right? And I feel like for 
a lot of other countries. It's mainly, maybe, I think in China in general, the whiter the skin, like the white, the white kind of look, the pale skin. Um, yes, it's a beauty standard, but it's mainly targeted for women. Like, have you noticed? It's definitely much more targeted towards women, but、mm-hmm. overall, a lot of the beauty industry is targeted more towards women.、Right? Yeah, and I think that you know the general public perception observed by me、mm-hmm. <laughs> is that like it is much less of a big deal whether a man has that type of complexion or not. Yes, for a woman, it is very important. Yeah. Like yeah, like that's what I mean. It's it's like a very like, like yeah, it's targeted for women because like it, it's more important, I guess. Like it's more valuable that a woman has that trait than not, right?、Uh, whereas like Korea is kind of kind of all over the place. <laughs> They like yeah, I think Korea it's for both men and women because I think beauty in Korea is more or less genderless. I think it's more targeted in the general public rather than like specific genders.、Um, so like you see a lot of guys, even like there's a lot of beauty products targeted for like guys and girls equivalent, right? So like that's that's interesting to see. But so yeah, back to、uh, how Western culture has a lot of their beauty standards derived from other cultures. I think it's also due. To the extreme mixes of traditions and cultures in general, and the lack of identity that Western culture has, right? Because because it's so it's a fairly new, developed country and like、so、region. So you're referring when you say like Western, as in like North America. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So like the States and Canada, right? Yeah. Because it's fairly like these countries are pretty. Pretty new,、um, you know. Like comparing a lot of、uh, a lot of immigrants coming in different exactly from different countries. Exactly. So there's a lot of these、uh, different like standards and like the, these different views and outtakes on beauty, right? As a whole. So in general, like you would you would imagine like kind of like the identity is not really there. So like the beauty standards. In general, like, like I, I think North America doesn't really have its own view on beauty, whereas like they view beauty from the perspective of other cultures, right? Like in a way, but then they, yeah, I guess like because it's okay. Here, here, here's the thing. I see a lot of people say like, oh, like. That's pretty exotic, you know. That's really hot. I think I think that's kind of like an example of finding non North Americans, basically like any non North American、um, person, as more attractive already, just because of the,、uh, I guess, the lack of understanding of other cultures. That is definitely something that exists. I I do agree with that. Yeah. Part, right. I think. I think that there's so much truth to what you just said there, but at the same time, I think there are some some aspect of the beauty standard that exists here that is just different from other places, and it it is kind of its own. And if anything, that it's like the only part that's really kind of influencing other places 
even though it's not even influencing it nearly as much. Mm-hmm. And what I'm talking about here is kind of like uh, uh, a lot of the well, unrealistic men's physique that, that you see in like the fitness industry, for mm-hmm. example. That's much more praised here than in most of the world, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's something that a lot more men here in North America aspire to compared to, uh, you know, many other places, not nearly to the same degree, right? Maybe athletic, right? That's something that has always kind of been a pretty masculine thing in most of the world. But in terms of actual like, kind of the fitness industry and the really kind of built type of looks, like, I feel like that is very much North American from mm. I think, yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think that's mainly due to weightlifting becoming more prominent and, like, it kind of, I, I guess weightlifting as a whole um, was, like, it was a bigger thing in North America in general when it first started, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so, like, you see, like, over, you know, a lot of people, like, let's say, like old-school bodybuilding, right? And, like, old-school, like, strongmen, it all derived from North America, right? So, and, like, it was more prevalent here, too. So, like, that that lasting effect could be, could be, you know, like, I guess could be causing this. But I also think in general, like, media as a whole really, like, social media here is insane, compared to other cultures as well. So I think social media has a lot to do with it too. All right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I just think yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's very interesting that you brought that up. I guess like I yeah, no, I I didn't really notice that to be honest. Um cuz like I do know like a lot of other countries, yeah, they they prefer like bigger men but like not in the sense of like shredded and like extremely like muscular like superhero type of look right but like here it is and it could also be due to the fact that like a lot of uh, i guess like the concept of superheroes like started a lot of it too i think it's a lot from that as well i think it's also interesting because i think even like the women here they don't necessarily are more attracted to that type of build. But within men, it feels like for some reason, the, the aspiration for that type of physique and and kind of uh, really trying to get to that type of beauty standard for some reason exists, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's also kind of, kind of interesting. Um, but like the other point I really wanted to bring up when, when it comes to beauty standards, like here, is, is just how much things change and have changed uh, and how quickly they have changed and how people don't really talk about it uh, nearly as, you know, they just don't talk about that much overall, right? Um, but yeah, at the same time, like what the current uh, beauty standard is, whatever, you know, time we're in, like that's still being followed by a lot of people, right? People are still aspiring to, aspiring for that. Right, because um, I know I might have given this example in other uh, episodes as well, but you know back in the day it was a, a lot about being slim, right? Uh, especially for women, right? And and then later on, people started to really 
becoming more in, more into curve, right? Especially you know big butts. That 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 has been a huge thing, and that like you were saying is very much influenced by other cultures, right? Other cultures like uh, like more Latin culture,、mm-hmm. other culture like more、uh, having to do with the with the Black American, right? No,、yeah. and、um, but that type of beauty standard has, you know, really became the beauty standard, right? And you see that type of shift, right? And you see、uh, pictures of the of like a celebrity back in the time when it was slim, and the way they look, it was very much、uh, falling through with whatever the beauty standard is at the time, which was slim, right? They They aspire for that, and they achieved it, right? But then later on, you see、uh, the same celebrity, and in a time where you know it's about being curvy and having you know big butts or whatever, right? You see their build, you see their physique, very much related to the very much you know on time with it, right? They've changed with the beauty standards, right?、Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been、uh, conforming to that, so it's like. You know, like、uh, that's just very interesting to see. Like, not only does this the beauty standard change, but people change with it. Like, people continue to look to look at them and conform to them, right?、Mm. And there isn't so much conversation about that. And and that's just something that's very interesting to me. I yeah, I agree with what you say. Like, I find. I find the point you brought up with how people change with the beauty standard really like it, it's interesting because like you see it happen all the time. But I think it's just it's just because okay, the thing is, it's mainly the newer generation that I see a lot of change in that are heavily influenced. The older generations, I personally don't believe that. They were as affected because it takes time from like the、uh, the initial like trend to like you know like to have like full effect, right? As of now, like yeah, you see that really often. But when it first started, it wasn't as prevalent. Like in general, you don't see a lot of people. You don't see a lot of ads for. You don't see a lot of like all these things. But like now, like I feel like it's at the height of it, right? Where especially with social media, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, like that's what I mean by like it's really heavily influenced by social media in the Western world. A lot of like beauty standards in general for men's and women's, but I, I see like for for women's beauty standard, it did honestly derive a lot from a、uh, Latin American, like just Latin culture in general,、um, and like African American culture, right? Especially with hip hop, like when it became like a really big thing. I think that's that's what really I guess that's what really pushed it、um, to the public, right? When it became extremely popular,、um, so I see that, like, in general, like, I just, I don't know, like, no, that is true. Like back then, like, it is being slim is the,、uh, yeah, is yeah. is the main thing. Like with the with the low rise jeans, yeah, or like. You know, go like Avril Lavigne type、uh, of like, yeah, like type of look, like that. But like that's even then, that's only in the two thousands too. Like that's, that's what I'm saying. That's how quickly it changed, and that's why you're able to see the same person change with it, 
Like yeah. the person like Christina Aguilera is, is a great example of that type of thing. Like, it, yeah, it's absurd. But, like, that's, I guess, like, as technology grows and, like, the communication, um, so, like, basically just online media, like, I think as that grows, so does the popularity of the trends, right? I honestly think, I don't know, it's a really bold statement, but I think the current trends for beauty standards are somewhat going to stay, like, unlike the uh, the skinny um, era, where, like, you know, like, the skinnier you are, the more uh, beautiful you are. I think this is going to stay just because of how widely influenced everyone is on it, right? Although there are, like, body positivity and, like, like all these movements that say otherwise, I think it's still going to stay just because of the generational impact it has and how, like, if you ask, if you ask, I'd say not every, but if you ask majority of the people, um, and like ask what they find attractive, they'll generally say the same thing, right? And I think with that also, men in general, the the standards that men have to go through as well in order to meet like certain standards for like general attractiveness has risen too. No pun intended, because like height is a big thing now uh, in comparison to before, right? Although, like, I think height in general has always been, like, like, like a, not, not, like, yeah, natural, but, like, not, like, a mandatory thing. But, like, now, because of social media, it's heavily influenced that, like, people are, like, oh, I want, like, a tall man, like, six feet above. Although, it's, a lot of the times, it's, like, it's all jokes. It's, like, a, it's, like, a fun thing to say. It, it's becoming true. The amount of people, the amount of guys that I've, like, talk to and they've had horrible experiences with women just because they're short like not short but like shorter they could they could literally be like the average height in canada which is like five nine five ten they're still considered short like that's crazy they were they i've had guys who were stood up from a date because the girls saw them and they're like no they're they're short i've had yeah it's horrible i've had guys where like you know, like, they're talking to a girl, and finally, like, because they're short, they're like, no, like, I don't think it's gonna work out, oh, like, you're, you're an amazing guy, everything, you know, like, like, you would make a great partner, but, you know, you're short, like, why, so, like, there are a lot of things that, like, I don't know, I don't know, man, it is definitely interesting. I I, I always kind of wonder how much people's uh, judgment and perception of beauty is affected by uh, the the portrayal of beauty standards that they consume, right? How much is it actually how they feel? How much is it kind of being influenced by social pressures and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with your example, you know, I think obviously it's very unfortunate that's kind of the situation. At the same time, I never have a problem with people kind of knowing what they want and uh, and you know kind of sticking with whatever standard they set for for that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I just don't think a lot of them have actual clear understanding of what exactly it is that they want. Exactly, I don't think they really know what they're getting out. Of mm-hmm. the, the thing that they think they want, 
you know. See, I agree with you. I think people, I don't blame people for having standards or having attractions to certain ideals or attributes of people. But what I do have a problem with is whether is that really their decision, like like their opinion, or is it heavily influenced by society where they think that's their uh where it's made to think that that should be their, um, I guess, like, opinion, right? So, like, I think in general, like, yeah, I think in general, like, I, I, I feel like a lot of people are heavily influenced by media, though they claim not to be. And I think that's the problem, not the problem that people have standards or certain attractions they want in a person or look towards a person, but it's the standard that's become mainstream and not really their own, right? So like, if you take them, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. I I just, I don't know. It's like the... uh, it's like they're not able that's not their decision is what i'm saying that's the general public's uh decision on like what's attractive and what's not yeah so this kind of relates me back to kind of something i've talked about many times and that is kind of the degree people are a product of their environment Mm -hmm. and how much social pressures are kind of influencing them and shaping them mm-hmm. in their behaviors, their decisions, their thought process and stuff like that, right? I think um, the blog post that just came out today that I've written, uh, I've written a few weeks back, but it came out today, is kind of really looking, is really just sharing my perspective, um, importance of really looking at how certain biological impulses and how certain social pressures exist and how they may be influencing you and how you how much you want them to actually be influencing you and whether they you know uh relate or straight up you know be the same as your actual desires or maybe they're actually just different right i think you know one thing is to say that it's just social pressures, right? Just these things that, that they're seeing on social media or advertisement or in uh, media with uh, with shows that they're watching, real- reality TV that they're watching, whatever uh, it is, right? But at the same time, you could say that part of the reason they do it is because a lot of people just care about the opinions of other people especially opinions of the other people in their social groups and i think in a lot of people's social group it is definitely possible that you know they all know that there is a perception of okay this is the beauty standard right and when they want to be with someone right they want someone to meet that beauty standard so the people in their social group will see the person that they're dating Mm -hmm. a certain way, right? Now, how much, you know, 
what people care about and those things, I don't want to make too much, you know, comment on, right? That's uh, up to the individual at the end of the day. But personally, I, I, <laughs> from my last statement, clearly, I focus a lot on the individual, right? I focus a lot about what I personally want and stuff like that. So for me, and because like the stuff I write about, it's pretty obvious that I'm not going to be looking at what other people think in, in that sense, right? It's going to be really focused on what exactly do I find attractive, and, and that's that, right? Whereas in other people, I definitely think that uh, some girl might want to date someone tall, not necessarily because they really, really need someone tall. Like, yeah, okay, like you're saying, maybe there is uh, attraction to that particular attribute in a guy, right? But I think a, a big part could potentially be that her social group, you know, she knows that there is this perception of beauty standard and she wants the person that she's dating to meet that because mm-hmm. she cares about what they think. Exactly. Them, right? I think, yeah. you know, I'm not going to say that she shouldn't. You know, I'm just going to say I personally don't, right? And and uh, I know that some people do and, and that's almost... Uh, a part of the biological impulse that I talk about as well, right? Some some of those kind of uh, feelings are built into people and you kind of have to be really aware of them, right? Uh, yeah, that's kind of my thought. No, I, I definitely agree a lot because people, I think in general, are heavily influenced by the social group or community that they're a part of. And they want to look good in the eyes of others as well. And I think that's also another big, I guess, standard in North America where your reputation, how you look, how you present yourself is very important in the eyes of the public. Not even the public, just like even your social groups where it should be more accepting, but because of how it is and how like, uh, I guess how people are pressured into that mindset it's a lot of times people make decisions based off of other people's or what they would think other people's impressions of them would be and i think that's not good at all that's a very general statement yeah yeah, it's a very general statement the one i'm gonna make is gonna be kind of pretty general generalized as well right but i think you know a lot of people here really it feels like that they're uh dressing for other people as opposed to dressing for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And this following statement is going to be very generalized, right? It's obviously not going to be true for everyone. But uh, from my perception, there is definitely, it definitely seems to me that there is a relatively large number of girls who dress not for themselves, not for guys, right? But for other girls, especially those girls within their social groups, right? mm-hmm. that, that's kind of my perception. And obviously, I'm saying you know, it's not true for everyone, right? But from my you know point of view, it definitely seems like there is uh, quite a quite a quite a you know a decent amount of uh, girls doing that, right? And whereas you know you look at other places, it's not that that doesn't exist, but it definitely feels like there are a lot more people dressing uh, in their own style. Right, and I think a lot more people have their own style, right? And um, especially, you know, older people. It feels like older people here, 
in mm-hmm. North America. They they really lack style, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of young people here, a lot of them just kind of follow trends, but you also kind of have a lot of people following trends in other places in the world. So, you know, but yeah, it definitely feels like other places people dress for themselves more and kind of figure out their style more. And uh, that's, that's, that, was, that would be mm-hmm. my perspective on that. I think also in a lot of other places, people don't give a fuck. That is true. I feel like yeah. that sense as well. Yeah, where people, it's more or less they have their own style because they don't really care for what others think. Mm-hmm. But it's also because in general, maybe styling themselves is not as important. They don't overthink it. They have something they like. They will yeah. gravitate towards it, right? Rather they wear it with confidence. Exactly. They wear it consistently and it becomes their style. Exactly. So like it slowly develops due to those factors. And I think here it's it's a lot to do with what, like you said, younger people tend to do what's more trendy. Um, and I kind of found that I kind of found that to be heavily true from my own experience, especially during high school um, when social media was all supreme, was all hype brands, hype beast brands. And to this day, a lot of people still wear only designer clothing, though they might not be able to afford that style living. They still do it. Um, for i guess like for other people right um for their own presentation um and it's very heavily influenced by pop culture in general but i think nowadays it's more gravitating towards your own style i think a lot of people are promoting like you know like to wear what you want and I see that really often with a lot of people nowadays instead of just expensive clothing that aren't really you know like expensive clothing in general they wear more whatever is more comfortable whatever they like wearing and I see a lot more people dressing more confidently because of it um but yeah in general like I I do agree with what you have to say like and I, I find a lot of people who do have that certain characteristic, that certain personal individual like style uh, that you mentioned, are a lot of them are immigrants, right? Yeah. A lot of them, the older people with the style are often from other places who immigrated to North America, right? And you could see like, I guess you could see part of them from their original like I guess background wherever like within their style right and that's just who they are and I I I really do appreciate that it's it's always nice to to see that and I don't know it feels good right yeah yeah I think uh, yeah I I notice more people I notice more people doing what you're saying like kind of starting to figure out and more trying to uh, not follow trend as much but I still feel like a lot of the trends, a lot of the, a lot of the things that, that people see on social media, the different uh, lifestyles, the different starter kits uh, that, that, that you will see, like those are still like uh, very, very much real, right? So while you do see some changes happening, the main kind of 
thing that still exists, right? And it's still it's still very strong. Uh, the presence is still very strong, right? Like, I think a lot of people is, um, like, you know, some of the common items that you'll see, a lot of people uh, will wear them, not necessarily because they actually like them really much, but it's just something that a lot of people are wearing, right? A lot of people like it, right? So it's uh, kind of conforming to that as opposed to really thinking, okay, yeah, uh, I like it myself, right? Because sometimes if, uh, if the trend or whatever it is and your personal uh, likes and whatever align, you know, that's cool, right? Like you don't have to be like a counterculture hipster or whatever. You don't have to go against the grain and just be a really strong nonconformist. You don't have to be that guy. In fact, it's kind of weird if that's kind of your whole thing, right? But, like, like you know, that's in some way like a, a personal individual kind of a stance. But in other ways, it's, I mean, it's a very simple ideology right there, right? It's not necessarily representative of uh, you in a more nuanced and a complete way, right? Um, but, yeah. Like, a lot of people don't really get to that point of thinking, is this what I like? A lot of people just kind of follow through uh, with something that's really popular, right? Um, it could be an actual trend, or it could be a more alternative kind of a subculture or aesthetic or whatever uh, thing that exists in, in, in that, you know, it doesn't even have to be that popular, right? But it is something that exists, um, you know, Maybe it's like goth. Maybe it's like uh, e boy. Maybe it's soft boy. Maybe maybe it's like uh, you know. Well, what do you what do you, athleisure, right? Maybe it's like nineties. Like people will find something like that, right? And they'll go to it. And instead of having like their own ways of doing it, they'll they'll really just uh, kind of go to standard things like that, right? And while that's you know better than following like the major trend. Right, at least there's a little bit more thought behind it, a little bit more. Okay, I like that. Right, but at the same at the same time, it doesn't actually get to the level of uh, individuality. Right, it doesn't really reflect uh, and have their own style. So, something like that that you see uh, very popular is people who are into like hip hop culture. Right, you'll see stuff like Jordans. Right. <laughs> You'll see Air Force Ones. Uh, you walk around campus, for example, the amount of people our age who are just wearing white Air Force Ones. It's like, oh my goodness, man. Like, come on. You know, like there are other white shoes out there that are great. You don't have to go to that one, right? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's the supreme thing that you're talking about again. Uh, it's the exact same thing, right? They're just specific items or brands uh, or pieces that that people just gravitate to a lot of the time without thinking because it's a trend, because it's a part of the culture, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm going to quote Kanye here from one of my favorite songs by him, a song that uh, a lot of people, a lot of his fans do not like. The song's going to close on Sunday, but the, the quote is amazing. The quote is something that I love, right? The quote is... No more living for the culture. We nobody slaves. All right? Like, mm -hmm. you got you to get, you get that in your head. 
You gotta, you gotta start believing in that. You can't be just, you can't be living for the culture, man. You can't be doing it. Only, only do stuff that actually, uh, actually makes sense for you. Stuff you actually get a lot out of. Stuff that will benefit you. And uh, when you fall into the culture, whatever culture it is, there's some blindness. There's some mindlessness that could happen. And uh, you know, not necessarily the best thing. Yeah. I, that's a good song, by the way. Close on Sunday. Um, yeah, I I couldn't have said it better. You know, that's very true. All aspects. I do appreciate people who kind of find going back to like the '90s style thing, where you were saying like people find styles, but then they look for like generic, like not generic, but like more like standardized styles that like people other people will go for i think i i appreciate people who go into certain styles that they really like and kind of branching it off and then creating their own mixes right i think that's very that's very impressive to see and i think in general a lot of people do appreciate it though they might not notice why i think a lot of people do appreciate someone who who dresses in a way where they're confident in and that, you know, they make it work, right? It's not something that will work for everyone, but it's something that they make it work for themselves and it suits them. I think that's very important to have. Um, And that goes with just individuality in general, like where we talked about, right? It's important to know your own type of styles, what you like and stuff like that. Um, But yeah, yeah, great quote. I I love it. I think Kanye is a really good example. He just does whatever he wants, and like he feels like it. He's not really afraid. I'm sure there are circumstances and there are things where like he's afraid of backlash and stuff. But like in general, he's he's his own character, and I find a lot of people who dislike him for the things and make fun of him for the things he says and does are doing it so because other people are doing it right i find it very like admirable that he just does whatever he wants yeah Yeah. i think a lot of people are afraid of uh uh people not liking them or agreeing with them or whatever Mm -hmm. but like i don't know who said it i don't know if they said it exactly the way i'm gonna say it but something there's just something about um if everyone's liking you, you're doing something wrong, right? Like uh, something about risk taking, something about self expression, right? Uh, if you're if you're you know beating to the beat of your own drum, there are gonna be you know more people that probably uh, don't like you, right? Um, not like there are more people who don't like you than people who like you, but compared to like the the general public like the majority uh like the majority opinion out there if that's kind of like who likes you like you know then then you're just kind of completely conforming almost right yeah yeah and it's it's impossible to get everyone to like you exactly because if everyone yeah because if everyone likes you then you're conflicting with yourself on a lot of things there's no there's no like secret crabby patty formula to all this right 
no matter what, there's always going to be someone that's upset someone. But I, I think once you accept that, then you're able to become more of who you really are rather than being influenced by other people in general. So that's good. Yeah, I mean, the whole reason why we're even talking about this kind of individuality and uh, the influence of these things is because, you know, a lot of the problems that people have with the beauty standards and all of that, you know, stuff related to body image issues, stuff related to self-esteem issues, and obviously problems that derive from those issues, right? And they, they come from really conforming to these things and really buying into it, right? So while there are a lot that industries can do, that social media platforms can do, and that the overall community could do for each other, one of the most powerful things that anyone can do is, well, their own minds, right? If they could, if they could start thinking about themselves and what exactly makes up, you know, who they are in terms of like beauty standards, what they actually like, what they want to do uh, with their style, for example, right? Of those things, they're going to be helpful. And then really saying, okay, okay, that's the beauty standard. Do I actually really have to conform to it? What even is the consequences if I don't? And really just thinking through that process and figuring out, okay, maybe it just isn't that big of a deal. Maybe I don't really care that much, right? It's not necessarily easy to get to that conclusion, right? But this is something that's very powerful, can be helpful for, for you know, individuals. And it's going to be a lot easier for that to happen than to expect change on all the other things I've mentioned, right? Things that, that involves a lot more people, that involves a lot more processes, things that uh, you don't have control over, right? So uh, to quote uh, other, other uh, artist, uh, Bob Marley, <laughs> emancipate yourself from mental slavery. Very powerful. Yeah. None but ourselves can free our minds. <laughs> uh, uh, that was good. That was good. Yeah. yeah. It's true. It's true. You gotta think about what you're buying into, what you what what uh you're subscribing to. You gotta really think about it. See yeah. if it actually makes sense to you and think if it aligns with you, right? There's just a lot to think about. And yeah, I think that's pretty much all my thoughts uh, on that. Yeah. Yeah, no. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's I mean we're also yeah. done like pretty much almost two hours. So let's uh, finish it off with uh, mm -hmm. highlights. All right. You start. Highlight. Drove to school yesterday. Came back last night. That's pretty much it. It's exciting to be back to school. Um, to be honest, I I do quite enjoy the uh, the environment. Um, it is something that's all that I have to get used to again because you know summer's gone now and like you kind of have to do that. But I, I don't mind it. I really enjoy it. And it's great to great to be back. Um, back to the campus podcast. You know what I realized? What? 
Parking. Parking is a huge thing. Oh my god. I spent, I got there, I because I like, I never really like parked at school. I spent an hour trying to figure out what I, what I gotta do in order to park it. Because to make it way too complicated, it's mainly a money grab. And I don't appreciate it. So that's another, that's another criticism I would have and something important for, um, you know, campuses but yeah that's yeah. not really a highlight but it is good to be back it but is yeah good to be back and as they successfully drove there went to school and came back yeah. <laughs> um yeah i know uh the cut the parking thing is a very interesting because i would agree that having better parking and, and all of that would be helpful for the students it would benefit them a lot for sure mm-hmm. at the same time uh, obviously with one of the things we were trying to challenge, to contest, and to denormalize uh, is the car dependency, right? And we've also done uh, various other episodes relating to that, including one specifically on the urban planning aspect, right? So a much, well, probably more difficult, obviously, but uh, a better solution, especially when it comes to areas around the campus, is designing a way where people could actually live conveniently without needing the car in the first place, right? Uh, especially considering, like, without getting too much into it, like, just without considering anything else, like, not anything related to safety, not anything related to uh, environment, not relating anything to, like, marginalization or so many, so many problems that's related to, uh, designing urban spaces in a way that makes people need a car to conveniently get around. Like without even getting into any of those specifically, one thing that I think everyone will pretty much agree is that commuting like you did is just a waste of time. Like that like regardless of like what you want to say about anything else. You yeah. want that type of convenience. You wanna you you don't want to spend your time uh, stuck in traffic, finding parking, actually parking, or just spending so much time on the road getting from one place to the other because uh, they're just designed to be so far apart, right? Um, you know, uh, uh, just uh, what you know, a couple thoughts when you brought up the parking thing. But I mm-hmm. would agree, given the way it is already designed, they should at least do better with the parking. Right, so I could have my criticism and stuff I don't like about it, but at the very least, they should be able to do better for you with the parking situation they have. Uh, yeah, to finish off, I'll go with my highlights. And honestly, we recorded uh, the last episode not that long ago, <laughs> so my highlight has to be something that I uh, was telling uh, Raymond, also Lorenzo, if he read it, not sure, uh, but today actually. And that is, uh, after my classes today, I was having dinner out um, on campus at the Spoke, for those who know Western University. Um, and uh, the food was okay, to be honest. The jerk chicken bowl, like the spicy, the seasoning overall, like they, they need to work on that, right? Like, not enough flavor for me personally. And if you're going to call it jerk chicken, I expect a bit more of a 
hit that the real, you know, Jamaican jerk chicken it will get you. So that part wasn't really the highlight. But I also got a beer. I got a Stella uh, with, with my meal. So I ate my meal on the patio with the beer. It was nice. And then after I was done eating, I still had some beer left. I was just drinking some beer and do getting some reading done out in the patio. And that's a very, very nice experience. Uh, I would say what I would like even more is, you know, putting down a blanket and uh, having a little wine and getting some reading. You know, something that I actually did with Lorenzo. I think I, I talked about this on a podcast as well. Um, Damon Cooper over the summer, right? And something that I have uh, done in other places as well. And just an ex- experience I really enjoy. But there's something that's very similar to that. And overall, just being outdoors, taking the fresh air, and uh, just kind of, I don't know, people watching a little bit, and having a nice, tasty beverage, and getting some nice reading done. Very, very lovely, very relaxing. Love that type of experience. So that has to be a highlight for sure. <laughs> mm, nice. That's good. Sounds amazing. I got to do that. Man, I was just thinking. I was like, oh, you know what? I'll have like like a nice glass of wine and just do some reading on campus. And I realized that's that's public drinking. That's, that's illegal. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is here. Yeah. Most of the world, it isn't. Yeah. That other thing that we might have to talk about <laughs> in the third part, maybe talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, sounds really relaxing. That's good. Glad. Yeah. I think that's, that's it from us. Uh, it was a incredible conversation. We, we really got into a lot of the different ways to look at these things, a lot of the other uh, possibilities out there, a lot of our, our thoughts on it, our own personal experience of these things. And overall, I think uh, we've really challenged the social norms quite a bit. Right? If you weren't thinking about these things before, after this conversation, looking at all these different things that we've described, I feel like on these three specific uh, topics, you probably don't quite have the same perspective on them, right? Uh, mm. The things that are normal about them, maybe don't feel quite as normal. Maybe there's more thought behind it. So I hope that is something you can take away from this. And overall, I really enjoyed this conversation. So yeah, that, that's it from us this week. And thank you for listening. Thank you.